We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kicks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Bledin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. Uh, you said, you know, if we're recording this episode on February 17th. It's a Wednesday here in the middle of the week. It's freezing cold outside over the last week or so here in the Chicagoland area. But, you know, hopefully, you know, you've been able to stay warm and, and safe during all this. You know, how how you doing today, man? Doing well, man. Definitely been staying warm and safe. You know, I know it's supposed to be like 36, 37 degrees over the weekend, which is so much better than what we have now. Still going to be cold, but I'm still looking forward to the warm weekend that's hopefully ahead. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that 30 degree weather is considered warm, but that's kind of the situation we're in right now. Um, It's basically been what it's been basically negative for the last week or so here, at least where I'm at. So uh Lots of time spent inside. Lots of time. Uh, actually, it's kind of been a good thing in terms of uh, in terms of uh, draft evaluation for some of these prospects and just having more time to look at these guys. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Hopefully, we get some warmer weather though in the future coming up here because uh, definitely needed at this point. Yeah, I definitely agree, man. And um, you know, obviously, I'm excited. We're about like seventy something days, I believe, away from the 2021 NFL draft. So I know, you know, this time of year we'd be getting ready to go to the combine and just talking everything combine. Unfortunately, we're not doing that this year, but I'm still excited for the next like two and a half months that lie ahead. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an exciting time, and that's a good way to transition to uh, today's topic so today we're going to be starting our position previews for the 2021 nfl draft and i think we had to start with the quarterback class which will be what we are doing today but before we get to that uh we have a little bears news to talk about here that we're going to briefly touch on before we get to our quarterback previews and that's the john desai press conference that happened a few days ago i believe um and desai you know, he's going to be the new defensive coordinator here for the Chicago Bears. Um, he's a disciple of the Fick Banjo tree. He's been with the Bears, I think, since 2013. So he's been through a couple of different coaching staffs here with the Bears. Obviously, I was very excited when that hire was made. I thought that was a pretty solid hire overall. And after his press conference, I've got to say, you say that there's a lot of pauses, I think, to take away here. And a lot of reasons for optimism here, I think, with this hire. Optimism is the perfect word to use because when we look at the way that the NFL is trending, it's very clear that like there was a trend a couple of years ago and that trend still exists now of teams are just going ahead and they're hiring younger offensive guys. And now you look at this big Fangio defense, you look at this Fangio defense in the sense that over the last couple of years, it's been this specific defense that has slowed down some of the best offenses in the NFL. I mean, listen, in 2018, Fangio and the Bears, they cracked the LA Rams, and they were the best offense in the NFL at the time. Over the last couple of years in Denver, right, Fangio has not necessarily beaten Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but they have slowed down Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And so this is the one defense in the NFL that I look at, and I'm like, listen, it is the only defense that is legitimately able to slow down and contain 
what is becoming a very pass-heavy league or what is already a pass-heavy league. So this Desai hire, it's perfect. I think another underrated aspect of all this that people are not looking at is Desai's been here since the Mark Trustman days, right? That means he was here with Trustman. He was here under John Fox. So he has seen this defense been rebuilt from the ground up, from the days that the Bears cut and moved on from Lance Briggs and Julius Peppers back in 2014, all the way until acquiring Khalil Mack and adding guys like Roquan Smith. So really, this is someone that's seen this defense built firsthand. It's someone who knows the ins and outs of this defense. And I think it's a breath of fresh air for the Bears moving forward because they need a breath of fresh air on the defensive side of the ball, especially after two years of Chuck Pagano, where the team just underperformed massively. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a breath of fresh air is another way, perfect way to describe it as well. And I I think one of the biggest takeaways I had from the press conference is a quote that Desai mentioned where he basically mentioned the fact that I forget the exact quote, but uh, the essential, the essential um, point of it was that, you know, when, when you're looking at pass rush and how that correlates to sacks and pressures, you know, pressures are the most important factor in terms of creating turnovers, but coverage is the most important factor in terms of generating sacks. And I think that's a very important distinction. I mentioned this on Twitter that that was one of the reasons I was, you know, starting to have that optimism about him because there's a lot of smart defensive minds in the NFL still, or who talk about the NFL, who coach the NFL or coach football in general that don't make that distinction. You know, there's a lot of old school thinking that, you know, pass rush is the only correlation when it comes to sacks here or the main correlation here. And we're starting to see that how that's starting to shift a little bit here. We saw that again, this past year, where I think the coverage unit for the Bears kind of slipped a little bit overall. You look at that unit, and that has correlated with their sack numbers being down over the last couple of years. I mean, Khalil Mack has still been awesome, at least from, from my tracking of his play, um, especially this last season. But, I mean, there's only so much you can do when the ball's getting out quickly and guys are running open. So I, I think that's – it's important that he's realizing that and he's pointing that out here because from a schematic standpoint – there is a lot to like about what this type of defense is going to offer for the Bears. You know, there's going to be a lot more too high safeties, a lot more light boxes, which means there's going to be a lot more emphasis on the defensive line having to do a lot more to stop the run. But, you know, I think when you have guys like Eddie Goldman up there, Cleo Mack is still a dominant run defender. If they keep a kicking picks, he's still a very good run defender in his own right. Uh, you have guys in that front seven that can stop the run given a light box there. So I don't think that's the biggest deal. What you're going to be seeing more so is just a lot more variety in terms of their coverages here, a lot more creativity, I think. And that's something that the Bears really needed that back uh, back into that defense because uh, there are going to be some question marks, I think, for that unit over, overall from a talent perspective. I mean, you're looking at Buster Screen. He's probably going to be gone this offseason. Uh, you know, Jalen Johnson, can he stay healthy for a full season? We know he's good when he's on the field, but, um, you know, he's a second-year player. He's going to be a young player. Can he stay healthy? Eddie Jackson's coming off a down year. Uh, and then you have to fill that next safety slot as well, that other safety starting position. So um, I think if they can find a way to emphasize that coverage unit and get them back to playing at the high level that they were in 2018, that'll do a lot to kind of help the pass rush even, which they've already invested a ton of resources in as it is. Right. And that exact quote you're referring to, because I do have the transcribed version pulled up on screen, Desai says, sacks come as a result of coverage and takeaways come as a result of pressure. But I thought another excellent quote from Desai, right? When someone asked him, it's just like, hey, why do you think the NFL is catching on to the Fangio defense? Because the Packers just hired, I believe it was one of Brandon Staley's assistant, who's was also with the Bears in 2018 as an outside linebackers coach. Green Bay just hired Joe Barry, who was an assistant under Staley and for the LA Rams last year. And, you know, obviously Desai's got a direct link to Brandon Staley as well. But one of the really interesting quotes, right, when just asked about why is this defense popular, Desai is like, I think the defense is popular because we've got answers. We've got answers. We've got tools. It emphasizes player productivity and really emphasizes team defense, not just for one guy to win all the time. And I think that that's an excellent quote right there because essentially what he's saying is, listen, it's going to take all 11 guys on the defensive side of the ball to really make the entire system work. This is not just going to be a defense that is going to revolve around, you know, your key players in Roquan Smith, Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson, 
Akeem Hicks and um, anyone else that I may have forgotten to mention, as well as Eddie Goldman. So it's not just going to be a defense that's revolving around your core players. All 11 guys are going to have to get involved and be productive to make the whole system work. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Pagano kind of fell victim to as defensive coordinator here. I think he relied too much on uh, his playmaker, so to speak, uh, having to do a lot to make plays and had to take a lot on their shoulders. And I think when you have the side here who's already emphasizing that team aspect of things and how the team defense has to work as an overall unit and not just a bunch of, you know, star players having to make plays, uh, I think that's if anything is going to help their star players be better because now they don't have to shoulder so much of the load on that side of the ball to have to carry this thing for them. So overall, you know, I think when you look at the side here after that press conference and just this hire as a whole, I think there are a lot of positives on that side of the ball. You know, in my opinion, I still think the bears, they could probably uh, afford to move on from some of these older players on the, on the defense to kind of reinvest in the offense a little bit this off season. But I think from a schematic standpoint, uh, from a play calling standpoint, from an overall coordination standpoint, I think they're in a better place here with the side as the higher here. And uh, we'll see how it turns out in this upcoming 2021 season when everything gets uh, put together here. All right. So we're going to transition now officially to our quarterback preview for the 2021 NFL draft. And we're going to start by breaking down our top five prospects at the position. But before we get to that, uh, we're going to take our first break of the show with a quick word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, starting our quarterback discussion here for the 2021 NFL Draft by going over our top five players at the position. Uh, you said, I'm going to start with you for your top five list. I think we can all agree on number one here, but I'm just, just to make sure, who do you got number one and, and how does that rankings go all the way down the five for you? So number one has been the consensus number one guy since his freshman season at Clemson, right? But it's Trevor Lawrence, all right? Clearly, he's shown that he's head and shoulders better than any other quarterback in this draft class, all right? I think that when we put these quarterbacks into tiers, right, Trevor Lawrence is in a tier all by himself. But then after that, you know, in like tier two, you have my number two guy who's Justin Fields from Ohio State. Then you have Zach Wilson from BYU as my third overall guy. And then tiers, the third tier that I have would be, you know, Trey Lance from North Dakota State University and then Mac Jones from Alabama. So like right now, just to recap my rankings, I've got Trevor Lawrence at one, Justin Fields and Zach Wilson at two and three respectively, then Trey Lance at fourth and then Mac Jones at five. All right, so we do have a little bit of a different list here, but I think the general gist of things here is about the same when you look at the, the five that are there. I think the five names we have are the same, but there is a little bit difference of nowhere here. Obviously, number one is Trevor Lawrence for me as well. Uh, that's not going to change there. I, I think that's pretty self-explanatory based off of his resume. But at number two, I have Zach Wilson out of BYU. And here's how I distinguish these prospects in terms of uh, the tier aspect of things. So Trevor Lawrence, I think he's a blue chip prospect. I think he's a special prospect at the quarterback position. I think he's one of those guys that you look at and you say, you know, he's a, he's about as close to a can't miss prospect as you can get at the quarterback position. He's in a tier all by himself. The next year I have my early first round prospects. These are quarterbacks that I'm comfortable with taking in the top 10, the top five area of the draft. And for me, Zach Wilson at number two, and then Justin Fields of Ohio state at number three. And then there's a bit of a gap between those two and the next guy. And that's Trey Lance for me at four. I see him as a late first round talent. And what's interesting about Lance is that, you know, he has early first round talent ability at the quarterback position, but the lack of experience and some of the rawness in his game uh, kind of leads me to, you know, seeing that he's a bit of a project at this point and he's a big risk. So uh, for that reason, he's a little bit lower on my board as a late first round talent. I'd be comfortable taking him um, in, in the 25 to 20 range, um, you know, as late as 30, maybe as early as like 15 or 10. 
um, if you have to in that situation. But uh, you have to keep in mind that he's a bit of a project as a quarterback prospect at this point. And then Mac Jones, he's my five guy as well. But I see him as a mid-second round talent. You could convince me maybe if you're the Bears potentially to maybe if you had to get a quarterback there to maybe pick him at 20, which I discussed in our mock draft episode. Uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, but uh, Jones, he just lacks the upside, I think, uh, to be considered a first round talent. I think he's a guy that I'd be comfortable with if you're drafting him to be able to start sooner rather than later. But the lack of upside does hurt him on my board a little bit. So I see him as a second round talent overall. So the thing I want to discuss here, you say it is, what are the traits that you're seeing out of Justin Fields that lead you to believe that he's a better prospect than Wilson? Because obviously I view Wilson as a better talent at this point. What are the things that you're seeing out of Fields that you think makes him a better prospect or vice versa? What are some of the concerns you have for Wilson that kind of drops you below Fields on your board right now? So I'll start with Fields, right? I think the big thing to keep in mind with a guy like Justin Fields, I mean, listen, he's, I mentioned competition that these guys have played against all the time, right? As a big factor, because when we look at a lot of the really good quarterbacks in the NFL right now, you know, take a guy like Deshaun Watson. Now Watson was in a class of his own coming out of Clemson a couple of years ago, but he showed that he could play against, you know, a lot of the bigger schools. I get everyone's, you know, viewpoint of Justin I get Justin Fields left a bad taste in everyone's mouth because of his performance against Alabama in the national championship but let's be real he was the best player on the field against Clemson in the college football semifinals right and when I look at Fields I see a guy who has you know really good throwing ability a really good arm you know the athleticism I really like the mobility as well but one thing to keep in mind with him right is that he needs to be much faster at processing the field right because if you do not do i i'm a firm believer in hey if you don't process the field in like three to five seconds or less at the nfl level then it is going to be very hard for you to become a really consistent quarterback because fields did have those stretches in 2019 and in the limited games that we saw in 2020 because again he didn't play a full season i mean these big 10 guys, they missed the first half of the year in 2020, right? Fields did have those stretches where he really got out of sync. And I go back to games against a team like Northwestern, or I believe it was even Indiana. But then you look at a game like, you know, Clemson in the college football playoff where he hands down looked like the surefire QB2 in this draft class. So Fields brings a lot of good stuff to the table, but what he has to be able to do is um, just be consistent and put it all together. Yeah, I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me as well, Fields, especially the processing thing, which you mentioned near the end. And that was kind of a red flag for me with Fields because obviously we've watched uh, Mitch Trubisky over the last four years in Chicago. And one of his biggest issues is his inability to uh, process the field effectively and his inability to get through his reads um, and get onto his second and third options. You know, that was some of the things I saw out of Fields at Ohio State. And some of this is a function of the Ohio State's offense. So, you can kind of take this with a grain of salt a little bit in terms of that aspect of things when watching him, but he does look at his wide receiver, his first option uh, for a very long time, pretty consistently. And he's always, he, he's pretty late to get to his second and third options within the progression there. And I guess that's one of the things I liked about Zach Wilson is, you know, there are definitely times where Wilson does the same thing where he's locking on to one guy and he's forcing throws that maybe you shouldn't be forcing. Uh, but for the most part, I think Wilson, he's a very, quick processor of the field both before the snap and after the snap and one of the things I really like about Wilson is his ability to uh, improvise um, when things get out of structure and he has to go out there and make a play whether he's rolling out to his right or left making throws on the run Uh, I mean when you look at Wilson uh, he probably made out of all the quarterbacks in this draft class when just looking at specifically this last season Wilson probably made the most NFL caliber wild throws that you're going to see um, from any of these guys in this draft class. And that's not the takeaway from, you know, Trevor Lawrence or, or Justin Fields or Trey Lance or you know, Mac Jones even. But uh, Wilson just made a lot of wild plays for me this past season. And he also made up for that by not uh, making too many negative plays as well. And I think uh, when you mentioned Fields and his struggles against Northwestern Indiana, those are things that kind of uh, separated Wilson for me a little bit. Because when you look at Wilson's tape, I think the worst game he probably had was against Coastal Carolina, which is the best competition he played all season. 
obviously BYU, they did not play a strong schedule in terms of the competition. Um, that's, we already know that's the case. Obviously, when you have Justin Fields, he's playing in the Big Ten, he's playing Clemson in the national uh, semifinal game, playing Alabama in the national championship. He's, Fields is going up against better competition. There's no doubt about it. But the thing with Zach Wilson is even in his worst game, I thought he showed enough to where, you know, there, he wasn't necessarily playing bad in that game. He just wasn't, you know, at his absolute best in that game. And when you look at Fields, some of his worst games, there are legitimate times out there where he looks really bad um, as a player out there in terms of, you know, some of the decision-making off script, uh, the processing issues we talked about, staring down receivers, throwing inter- bad interceptions, uh, making bad decisions with the ball. Um, so I think Fields, he's got the talent. I think the Clemson game in the, uh, the National uh, College Football Playoff really helped him and he, and he certainly showed off that the talent is there in terms of transitioning I think to the NFL level he can make some big time throws when he's in a rhythm and you know he's not out there having to go through his, his reads as much you know I think he'd be a perfect fit in some of these offenses like you look at the Atlanta Falcons who are going to be running that kind of Shanahan uh, bootleg west coast offense there uh, he'd be a great fit for the 49ers doing the same thing there in Shanahan's offense you know, some of these systems were it's a lot of play action, a lot of stuff that, that is designed up and schemed up for the quarterback, and they can make use of his athleticism on the move, ability to make throws on the move, and his natural playmaking ability because Fields, man, he's a great runner of the football, and he's really good off script, I think. Uh, when the play does break down, he can make some th- stuff happen, not only as a runner, but as a thrower as well, kind of getting these guys off script. So, um those are some of the things that you like about fields. But for me, Wilson, he just has a little bit more of that X factor that I'm looking for from a quarterback as of right now. Yeah. You know, you're not wrong regarding Wilson, because again, like I think when we look at a lot of the really good quarterbacks in this league, um, the thing with them is this, right. Is they make plays consistently off script. I mean, I get, we're just like what, two, three weeks removed from Patrick Mahomes is, you know, then the chiefs, performance in the Super Bowl but like Patrick Mahomes is the biggest example of just continuously making plays off script so that's one of the things I really like about Zach Wilson just the ability to make something happen or make something out of nothing essentially right is the correct terminology and the correct phrase there but the one thing like I said that worries me about Wilson and you kind of mentioned this too is it's just like Coastal Carolina is the best schedule or the best team that they played this year right Wilson in his final season he broke out but he did not really play like really big schools and 50% of that is attributed to the coronavirus because again like I believe BYU at one point was scheduled to play teams like Michigan and Minnesota right and I think Iowa was on their original 2020 schedule as well so a couple of those you know top end schools where you consistently see some good NFL talent from year in and year out no matter what the position is but like the you know, the lesser competition for me is kind of an issue because like, again, we've seen it with, you know, a guy like, I don't use Mitch Trubisky as an example. I mean, we've seen it with a guy like Mitch Trubisky, right? A guy who was, you know, a one-year starter, right? Put together one solid year um, and then essentially just got to the NFL and faltered because again, like he did not play against the best competition. So that's going to be the biggest thing for me. But I will say regarding Wilson and Fields, um, you know, whoever drafts them, I don't think you're looking at a guy that's going to immediately come in and have an impact in year one. And it's unfair to have that expectation of any rookie quarterback, but I do think between Wilson and Fields, right. It'll take at least two years for them to properly develop into true franchise quarterbacks and live up to the hype and expectations that surround them as 2021 NFL draft prospects right now. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly the case uh, as well. Uh, especially when you look at fields, I think there are some things that you'll have to adjust to uh, going from Ohio state's kind of simplistic offense to the NFL, where he's going to be asked to do a lot more. And Wilson, obviously we talked about it, adjusting to a high level of competition, the speed, the game, the, the speed of the game is going to be faster. The players on the opposite side are going to be better. And he's going to have to adjust to, you know, having to deal with more pressure uh, from the offensive line standpoint, because he had a great offensive line at BYU. He had a lot of clean pockets at BYU and that made certainly some things easier for him. Now, his wide receivers didn't get the best separations all the time at BYU, but uh, I mean, he's going to have to throw into tight windows at the NFL as well. So there are some legitimate concerns. I think when you uh, look at that, at it from that standpoint uh, for Wilson there, Um, I want to get your thoughts quickly though on Lance 
here because he is probably the most interesting quarterback of the five here just because of the amount of upside he has and just where he could potentially go here in the draft. So um, last thing here before we move on to the next topic, you know, where do you see Lance going in this draft and what would the range that uh, you would be looking forward in terms of if you were to make be making that decision, where would you like to draft him um, in the first round there if you were making that decision? If I'm pulling the trigger on a guy like Trey Lance, I think in my mind he's a mid to late first round pick depending on the way the board falls, honestly, you could even see him being a second round pick because again, like this is a guy that's, you know, played at North Dakota state university. And besides Carson Wentz, I mean, like, you know, I mean, Carson Wentz, let's be real, was playing at an MVP level at one point, right. And was supposed to be the eventual MVP of the league, but how many North Dakota state quarterbacks have been successful in the NFL, right? My point is this though, with Trey Lance kind of opting out of the 2020 season, not necessarily opting out, but you know, he didn't play because they didn't have a true season in the fall that's impacted his draft stock. Now he was an electric quarterback in 2019 for the competition that he played against. I mean, I like, you know, his mobility, he's got excellent footwork as well. He can basically, you know, move the chains, right, with his legs as well. But I think that when I look at Trey Lance, like I said, not playing in 2020 kind of worries me, essentially means like you're a one-year starter, you know. So I would take him as a mid to late first round guy. And I think that people have to understand, you know, for those in the Bears fan base that are like, let's go ahead and pull the trigger on Trey Lance or trade up for him. I think we have to understand something that Trey Lance, because of the way his college career has gone, he's going to be a guy that is really going to take like, he's a two or three year project essentially is what he is right and again teams draft quarterbacks so they're successful for the next 15 16 17 years they don't just draft them you know so they can be good for the next two to three years but the point is this right is Trey Lance is a true project prospect he's going to take a couple years to develop and the bears between pace and Nagy, they don't necessarily have two to three years to sit and wait for a guy like lance to develop and realize his full potential could his learning curve you know could he automatically get to the nfl and then all of a sudden the learning curve is just not as big as some of us thought yeah but that very rarely happens especially for guys that are one-year starters in college you know i, I think you nailed it at that point I, I think that's one of the reasons why lance is probably not going to be an option for the bears when it comes to draft day um, in a couple of months here, because like you said, uh, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, they're, they're pretty much, this is their jobs are on the line here in this upcoming season. So are they going to take their chances on a guy that's probably not going to be ready in year one? I, I, I think that's very unlikely, but like I said before, Lance, he has top five pick level of traits here in terms of the arm talent, the athleticism, the size, the mobility, um, the ability to make plays off schedule and his, deep ball accuracy at times uh which can be very fantastic when he's when he's when he's at the top of his game but man he, like you said there are a lot of red flags here with lance i think if you're a team taking the chance on him you better have a veteran starter in place ahead of him that you're comfortable starting for a couple of years and letting him sitting and letting him developing and you better have a sound offensive structure around him because he had a very good uh supporting cast around him at north dakota state uh he had a very solid scheme for him at North Dakota state that made things simple for him. And, you know, if you don't have that structure for him at the NFL level early on, there could be, there could be problems, I think, but Lance, I love his talent. I think he could be very good. I think from an upside standpoint, his upside is as, you know, as great as any of these other guys near the top here. It's just a matter of, are you willing to take that risk of him being a one-year starter at a very low level of competition where his team was clearly the best team on the field every single time he stepped onto the field. And there were games where he barely even threw the ball. Like that's just how dominant North Dakota state is at that level of competition. Uh, they didn't need him at times. So there are games where he basically just handed the ball off the entire time. And there's just, there's nothing for him to do. So uh, a lot of things to consider there, but overall, I think it's a very talented uh, group of quarterbacks at the top here, but we're going to be moving on to some of the other topics here and to, to uh, discuss some of these other guys coming up here. So before we do that, uh, we're going to take our next break of the show with a quick word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, moving on to the next subject of our quarterback preview for the 2021 NFL draft coming up in a couple months here. And that's going to be moving on to our top sleepers and overhyped prospects for this upcoming group of quarterbacks. And you say, I'll start with you, 
uh, right here. Who is your top sleeper in this draft? The guy that you're looking at either late day two or early day three that uh, could be a steal for a team looking for a developmental quarterback, quarterback, I should say, at that portion of the draft. My guy is Jamie Newman. And I know we've talked about Newman a couple times on this podcast, right? But my sleeper is Newman because there was a point, right? Where what happens is this. So every year during the summer, right? I like to just get a general idea of how teams and various other, not necessarily teams, but just how various, you know, media outlets have like certain quarterback strength. And it's interesting because Jamie Newman at one point, a lot of people considered him a top five QB in this draft class because of the tools that he brought to the table in the sense that he had some the size was definitely there, good arm strength, mobility. He showcased poise, right? So there was a lot to like about Jamie Newman. And he still does have all those tools, but just sitting out really impacted his um, draft stock, you know, for the upcoming draft, right? But I would say that there's a lot to like about Newman, but then also you look at other things, right? Just in the sense that it's like, he still needs to grow as a passer. He is very good when it comes to, you know, moving the chains with his legs. But again, you have to grow as a passer and you need to be a solid passer in a league where there is just so much emphasis on being, you know, on passing the football, right? And then obviously when I look at it, right? Another thing for me that was a red flag from the 2019 tape was just there's times where it's like, I felt like the offense, right, at Wake Forest just really kind of dumbed things down for him to make it too simple, to make him look better than he was. Now, when he gets to the next level, obviously Newman's not going to be a guy that you are going to start day one. He has showcased he's not that type of prospect, right? But he can develop just into a solid backup quarterback, a solid number two guy, maybe even a solid three guy for the first couple years of his career and just be the good backup that teams rely on in certain situations because there's a lot to like about him but like I said I mean he has a long way to go before realizing his true potential yeah and I can say as someone who got to see him in person there down at the senior bowl I think that assessment is is dead on accurate you know you could definitely tell watching him play at the senior bowl that uh, he was just, after taking a year off, he just wasn't ready for the speed of the game at that point. Just did not look comfortable um, in the pocket there. His pocket presence was a bit iffy. Uh, making some of the decisions that he made down there, a couple of really bad decisions there from a uh, processing standpoint and decision-making in the pocket. But, uh, yeah, like you said, Jamie Newman, there is a lot to like there, though, with the talent there. I mean, we discussed this a lot with our senior bowl coverage, but uh, the ball just fires out of his hand. And, and Nicholas Mariano, he's, when he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, mentioned this, uh, the ball just jumps out of his hand when he releases it. Um, and, and, and you can just tell on the field down there that he does have plus arm talent ability. It's just a matter of can you the rest of his game come together. And so, yeah, I think as a guy that if you're drafting him with the intention of being a developmental guy, I got a lot of upside that could take two or three years before he's ready. Uh, there is a lot of upside there to work with there. Uh, but another guy down at the Senior Bowl that's going to be covering my sleeper here is Kellen Mond on Texas A&M. And I've talked about him quite a bit, both on Twitter, both with my work, and both, um, you know, at the Senior Bowl with my coverage down there on this podcast. But uh, Kellen Mond is a guy that is a very – he's the definition of a streaky quarterback. And there's a running joke here where Kellen Mond, when you're discussing these quarterbacks here, there's kind of no comparison for him in terms of previous years or previous quarterbacks to compare him to. And it's really, uh, he's kind of in a tier of his own as a prospect because he's just so much different from the rest of the field because you can see that he has the arm talent to make really nice throws um, in structure here. You can see that he has the mobility and the athleticism and the physical build that you want to see typically from uh, quarterbacks transitioning to the next level from these new wave of quarterbacks where uh, mobility is such a uh, advantage for these offenses. But then you see the inconsistency, the decision-making issues that pop up, um, the lack of accuracy at times, and then the fact that he has this great mobility, but he just doesn't seem to have that internal, I don't know what you call it, just uh, awareness for the game or just that X factor um, as a player when he's going off script to have that natural feel um, to make plays off schedule. So Kalamani is just a weird evaluation to make. I think he does have ability. We saw that in the Senior Bowl game where – uh, when he's on, I mean, he looks really, really good as in terms of the arm ability. He made some really nice throws in that game, especially in a couple that were dropped where, I mean, he, there was no better way to throw the ball 
Uh, he throws the ball with very good velocity um, over the middle of the field, I think, especially on deep passes. He shows good touch on those at times. Again, it's just like the processor is a bit slow at times, and he just doesn't have that natural feel for the game, I think, in the pockets where he just kind of plays. I kind of describe him as playing robotic at times. He just looks very mechanical in his approach to the game. And uh, if, if one of these coaches can, at the NFL can find a way to kind of loosen him up a bit and kind of unlock something with him, his uh, playmaking ability, there could be something there, I think, with Mon. I think he's somebody late day three, uh, early round four, that I think a team's going to take a chance on in this draft. And if you get him in the right situation here, he could really uh, benefit a team two or three years down the line, either as a backup or as a guy that kind of steps in as a low-level starter here that you know, a team might take a ch- may take a chance on to maybe see if he can be a guy that can start long-term at some point if he reaches his upside, that is. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the thing with Mond and, and um, a guy like Jamie Newman, the one thing that I'm finding with both of these guys is it's just like, okay, they have the potential is all there. But the question is this is can both of them put it together fast enough to the point where they don't reach like year five, six or seven in the NFL, if they make it that far and they're not cut, can they put the talent and the, can the potential just come together quick enough to the point where early on in their career, they are able to get on the field and they are able to showcase, Hey, we can play this game at the next level and do it at a really high level as well. And that's just a, like I said, it's the one thing that I find so intriguing with Mond and um, Jamie Newman is the talent's all there, but it's like, how quickly will they continue to put it together to realize that true potential? Because again, you only get so many chances in this league, especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of leads us to our, our next section of this, and that's talking about guys that are a little bit overhyped, the guys that could be drafted a little bit early than we think they should. And, you know, who's the one guy that kind of sticks out for you in terms of that aspect of things you say uh, for that category? A lot of people, and I've been on both sides of this argument, 50% of me has said if Mac Jones is there at 20th overall, you take him in the first round, especially for the Bears. The other half of me is like, do not touch him, do not even do it, right? Because I understand the senior bowl showcase that the argument of Mac Jones being a product of the Alabama talent around him, the senior bowl prove that that was not the case with Mac Jones. But then again, there's still a lot of red flags, essentially, right? There's a guy who lost this. Well, who's Tua Tagovailoa's backup in 2019 was a true, you know, and he had a productive 2019 season, by the way, right? Pretty productive for Mac Jones standards. 2020 was by far his best season with 41 touchdowns and four interceptions. I mean, he threw for over 45 or just about 4,500 yards, right? But the thing that concerns me about Mac Jones is this, right? Is that does he process really well? 110%. That's very visible, right? I would argue in certain cases, he's a much faster processor than some of the other quarterbacks that we've discussed that are going to be surefire top five, top 10 picks, not to name anyone specific, but the point with Mac Jones is this is the arm strength is really average for him, right? Yeah. He's a pretty good deep ball passer, but then again, it's just like your conditions, right? And the conditions that you're going to play in the elements, wherever you land at the next level, those are certainly going to have an impact on your game. So with Mac Jones, it's just like the arm for me is just average. I wouldn't even consider it above average, right? And then the biggest thing for me is just the, he's not the most mobile guy on the planet, right? So when the pocket starts to break down around him, what is he going to do? Is he going to use his limited mobility to go ahead and to make some off script type off script play happen or is he just going to stand there like a complete statue in a broken pocket and take the sack and that's what concerns me the most about mac jones i would say at the next level he can be someone like alex smith white for example he can be like an alex smith or a game manager a guy like you know a guy who essentially is um not gonna win you the entire game but will at least be a solid game manager to not lose you the game. Like that's my honest viewpoint on Mac Jones. Yeah. Mac Jones, again, for those who follow this podcast, I mocked him to the bears in our last mock draft episode at 20. And, you know, my comparison for him in terms of the upside there is probably Kirk cousins, but you're mostly looking at a Jimmy Garoppolo type of quarterback here where, you know, if you get him in the right situation here at the right system with enough playmakers around him with a solid offensive line, he can do some nice things for you there within the structure of the offense and be solid in that aspect of things and execute the offense and 
Um, maybe he can put up some nice numbers there for a couple of seasons here or there uh, where he looks pretty good. But I think, like you said, there the upside is a bit of, con- of a concern here. And I think for teams taking him in the first round, you're taking him because you think he can be a day one starter, not because you think he can necessarily be a top 10 type of quarterback in the NFL. I think if you're taking him in the, in the first round, you're probably very desperate for a day one impact starter at the quarterback position. And unfortunately, upside is very important when it comes to the drafting, projecting these guys to the next level. Um, kind of another player that kind of fits that same mold that will kind of fit the bill for my overhyped prospect is a guy that probably won't be drafted in the first round, but he has gotten some talk about first or second round talent um, in the past. And that's Kyle Trask out of Florida. I think him and Mac Jones are kind of similar in that aspect of that. Both of these guys don't really have the physical tools, although I think Mac Jones has a little bit more to work with from a physical talent standpoint than Trask. But, um, you know, when I look at Kyle Trask here, I I see Nick Foles. (laughs) He's basically a mirror reflection of Nick Foles. Uh, He's just younger and had, you know, better numbers at a better program in college football here. So, I mean, Kyle Trask, he's uh, very interesting because, you know, he does not have a very strong arm. His accuracy comes and goes throughout the course of the game. He's very streaky in that aspect of things. Um, you know, we kind of showed in the, in his last game against, I think he was playing Oklahoma for his last game as a starter when a lot of his weapons were out. Uh, he showed that he has some struggles in terms of, you know, it's turn, kind of that argument with Mac Jones of, you know, does the talent around him elevate him as opposed to does he elevate the talents around him? And I think you can definitely see with Trask that, uh, he has limitations in terms of elevating the supporting cast around him. I think he was very much a product of having a guy like Kyle Pitts, who's probably going to be a top 10 pick in this draft as a tight end for him uh, this past season. And then you look at Kadarius Tony, a wide receiver prospect that could be going in the first round, a very talented player as well. And some of the other talent at, on that Florida offense, I think he very much benefited from that this past season and made him look a little better than what he actually is, both from a uh, you know tape standpoint and a stat standpoint. You know, Trask, I just don't see a lot in him, in him from a talent perspective that projects well to the NFL. I think he can be a solid backup. Again, I see him as a Nick Foles 2.0, basically. You know, a tall guy who's not afraid to stand in there and make those th- tough throws, who can be accurate. And when he's on and he's making the right decisions at the line of scrimmage and within his first read, he can be pretty effective. But uh, once you kind of counterpunch to that, he really doesn't have an answer to that. So, uh, Trask, I think he's a day three, early day three talent. Um, I think he can be a very solid player. He's going to be in the NFL for a long time as a backup, but for teams or for people that want to take him, you know, in the second round there, I just, I just personally don't see it. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing, and you alluded to this when, you know, analyzing Mac Jones, right? I think the thing with Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, right. Is this right. Is, the one thing around them is if these guys are going to be good quarterbacks at the next level, and I'm not saying like top 10, top 15 guys, if they're just going to be good and serviceable and be consistent, you have to make sure that everything around them is playing at a really high level. And that means your playmakers have to be consistent on every single play. You have to have a good play caller that's putting the quarterback in a position to win, right? And then the biggest thing of all is just going to be You have to have a rock solid offensive line and then even just a really good running game that you can rely on when the quarterback does start to slip up because that's my big thing with Mac Jones and Kyle Trask is I fear they're going to get to the next level and they will not be consistent enough to warrant being players that can just develop into solid starting quarterbacks. I mean, I would take Jones over Trask right now just because of his ability to process. But like you said, Trask is essentially Nick Foles 2.0 with Mac Jones. I mean, we've come to the conclusion he's not going to be a guy that's ever going to be a top tier player, right? We've seen teams over the last couple of years, they've invested and they've drafted above average or just like above average or just average quarterbacks. And then those guys, when the talent around them is not good what happens is they totally break down but when the talent around them is playing at a really high level it's the quarterback that gets all the uh hype and the attention i mean listen the biggest example i can think of that is take a look at 2019 jared goff right 2018 jared goff was playing at a really high level 2019 jared goff when he didn't have todd Gurley to basically bail him out every single play as well as 2020 jared goff there was a significant slip off and you just saw that the quarterback was not good enough to make up for the deficiencies of the team 
Yeah, but I think you're looking at, when you look at it, both of these guys, especially Mac Jones here, you're looking at them as guys that you can win with, but not because of. And I think when you're looking at, you know, drafting and developing quarterbacks or investing it for, in, at the quarterback position, you know, in 2021 and beyond, you have to be looking for guys that you can win because of, and not just guys you can win with if everything goes right for you from a team standpoint, from a health standpoint, from a scheme standpoint. So uh, I think those are very important distinctions to make. It doesn't mean that these guys aren't worthy NFL players. that could have long, successful careers in the NFL, but you have to keep in mind when you're investing high draft picks in these, into some of these guys that maybe they don't have the talent to be the difference makers or the franchise changers that you think they can be. Um, and you have to look at the upside here with some of these quarterbacks. And that's a very important distinction to make when evaluating some of these guys. All right, so we're going to move on to our final topic here uh, for this episode. But before we do that, we're going to take our last break of the show with another word from our sponsor. We're back here at Picks for Pace, uh, finishing up this quarterback episode for the 2021 NFL Draft by taking this from a Bears-specific standpoint and looking at, you know, we know that the Bears here, quarterback is the obvious big need for this team this offseason. They have to get you know, they have to address the quarterback position significantly here. They have to get the quarterback position right, most importantly here. And I think for this last section here, what we're going to do is we're going to break down what we think, each of us think, the best strategy going forward should be for the Bears in terms of addressing the, the position in this draft. So you said, I'm going to start with you on this one and pose this question. What is your strategy? What would you, your preferred strategy be if you're running the Bears to address the quarterback position in this draft? Honestly, I am going to go ahead and if the board falls the way I want it to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to trade up to get my hands on a guy like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. I get you're going to have to sacrifice the farm to do so, but hey, if you want to play or if you want to have a good quarterback in the NFL and be successful at that position for the next decade and a half, those are the risks and those are the moves you have to take. But with that said, you can't just be aggressive and trade up for anyone. You have to be aggressive, but you have to be smart. And we've seen the Bears the last time they traded up for a quarterback. Ryan Pace was aggressive, but he wasn't smart about who he took, right? And it's not even about trading up. It's about who you select after you trade up, right? Then, so that's what I'm doing on day one, right? Then I'm doubling down and on day two or day three, right? I'm taking a chance on one of these developmental guys that we just talked about. I mean, if a guy like Jamie Newman or Kellen Mond is there, you know what? You take a chance on him. Even if it's not Newman or Mond, right? Another solid option that I would honestly take if he's on the board in the sixth or seventh round would be Notre Dame's Ian Book. I mean, these are just guys that I look at and I'm like, okay, you know what? You have to add to that quarterback room consistently because we've seen the best teams in the NFL, right? They may not necessarily have a need at the quarterback position, but they're always figuring out ways to get better at that position. The Bears have not done that for decades, and it's continued to haunt them. I mean, I think with Jay Cutler here, right, they took like, what, two quarterbacks in his eight-year span here on day three, right? So the point is, is I'm doubling down. I'm trading up for one guy, and then I'm also doubling down, and on day two or three, I'm drafting someone else. Yeah, and I like the aspect of doubling down the position because we've seen this actually work in the past for teams. I think one example is the Washington football team. I think it was the 2020, 2012 NFL draft uh, where they traded up and they gave up a ton of draft picks to go get RG3, I think, at number two overall there after Andrew Luck was selected by the Colts. And then later, I think it was in the fourth round, they drafted Kirk Cousins um, out of Michigan State as kind of insurance in case that, you know, one, to be a nice backup option for them, but it's proved to be a very valuable insurance pick because Kirk Cousins, after RG3 kind of broke down physically with some of the knee injuries that he had, Kirk Cousins ended up being their starter for a couple of years there and gave them some nice value there as a late, uh, or I, sh I should say early day three pick for them. So there is some value in doubling down at the position and taking multiple swings at it because, I mean, it's quarterback position is the most important position in all of sports right now. And if you don't have a quarterback, you need to do, you need to go with any avenue possible to try and get that position right. So if you look at, you're looking at the Bears here and you're seeing that they've only drafted one quarterback ever since Ryan Pace took over as general manager and they haven't gotten their answer. So one quarterback, taking one quarterback isn't enough. There needs to be more consistent uh, you know, investment in the position, which they just aren't doing right now through the draft. So I can definitely see that working out here. But for me, 
you have to take this with the mindset of, you know, evaluating. It kind of depends on how they address the position in free agency. Because if they're able to swing a big trade for, let's say, unrealistically Deshaun Watson, but maybe even more realistically here, uh, Derek Carr with the Raiders here, or even if a Carson Wentz trade ends up happening at some point, um, then I'd be fine with focusing on other positions to strengthen the rest of the roster. Although with Wentz, I mean, you probably want to draft a quarterback on day three just because of the fact that he's probably not the long-term answer either. But at least you can make the argument if you're training for him that, uh, you know, he's a guy that has been great in the past that we can win with him if we fix him to a degree, if that makes sense. So um, I could see them making the argument there. But if you're not getting one of those three quarterbacks, then you absolutely have to make quarterback the number one priority in this draft. So when you look at it here in the first round, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to be an option. I think he's going number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's probably no less than a 1% chance that the Bears will even have a chance at making a trade-up for him at this point. Um, So Trevor Lawrence off the board already. Not an option. But you look at some of these other guys here. I think the two quarterbacks that you mentioned here, one of them with Justin Fields, but Wilson as well. Uh, I'll even throw his name in the ring here. You know, if one of those two guys gets past the Jets at two, then I'm totally fine. Uh, with an aggressive trade-up to go get one of those two players, especially Wilson here, because I am a huge fan of, of uh, Zach Wilson here. I think he's got special talent uh, to be a franchise quarterback um, sooner rather than later. Um, I, I personally just, my preference is on Wilson over Fields at this point. Um, but trading it up for either one of those guys, I'd be fine with early in the first round. So you're looking at Miami. They're probably going to be looking to trade down. You probably have to overpay, though, to convince them to move down all the way from three. Um, Atlanta, uh, probably the same situation there. Um, And then the Eagles are going to be there as well. You're going to have to contend with them. They're going to be wanting a quarterback probably at this point. The Carolina Panthers are probably going to want to get a quarterback here. Um, The Denver Broncos could be looking for a quarterback here. So those are the type of teams that you're looking at in that area of the draft that you're going to have to trade up in front of in order to get one of those two quarterbacks there. So – you're going to have to be be looking at trading multiple first round picks down the road, multiple picks, maybe in the second and third rounds of this year's drafts and even future drafts. But if you can get, if, if that quarterback can work out for you, it's worth it in the end. Cause you know, no price can be too much for getting your franchise quarterback if he pans out. And that's a key thing here. Can he pan out to be that franchise quarterback? Um, so if you're looking at, you know, Trey Lance here, I, I don't think that'd be bad trading up for Trey Lance, uh, depending on the value giving up and where they select him. But I think the two to look out here, uh, to look for here are Zach Wilson and uh, Justin Fields in the early first round, if you can somehow swing the trade. But it's going to take a lot of draft capital to make that happen because uh, the Miami Dolphins, the Atlanta Falcons, they know the value uh, placed on those two quarterbacks. They know the value of the pick that they have uh, early in this draft. And they're not going to let you uh, get that pick for the chance to take that quarterback for cheap. Yeah. You know, those are some great points you made there. And I think the thing with the um, bears is they have to understand something, right. Is they have to move fast when it comes to this quarterback decision, right? Because you are, because Nick Foles is probably going to be your opening day starter, unless you do trade for a guy like Derek Carr or a long shot into Sean Watson. And you kind of touched on this, but I'll touch on it too. I mean, listen, let's be real. I mean, like right now, you know, when I look at just the top 10 of the draft, because Chicago's picking at 20th overall, just forget, you know, the top 10 for a second, right? You have like, you know, at 12th overall, you have the 49ers, you have the Patriots at 15th, you have the Raiders at 17th, you have Washington at 19, right? And then you certainly have Indianapolis, the call to, yeah, I get Indy's been room been in on Carson Wentz, right? That's no secret. But what if they don't strike a deal for Carson Wentz? And you're looking at another team that could potentially trade up. So forget, you know, just the top 10 for a second that's filled with like Atlanta, Philadelphia, the Carolina Panthers, the Denver Broncos, the Dallas Cowboys even. I mean, I would even toss in the New York Giants if Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman are not comfortable with uh, moving forward with Daniel Jones as the starter. But the point is, is that there's at least three, four, even five teams outside the top 10 that the bears are going to have to surpass for a quarterback. So you're looking at a very messy situation because the bears essentially tied their hands here with Trubisky not panning out. Right. 
but Chicago is going to have to be super creative when it comes to navigating this. And the reality is, is I think at this point, if you're talking about trading up for a quarterback in the draft, you're going to have to give up more than you want to, because we look at like when the chiefs traded up from, I believe it was the 27th overall pick all the way to the 10th overall pick to draft Patrick Mahomes in 2017, they gave up a future first rounder, right? But the league has changed so much over the last couple of years, just that teams are going to want more and more if it means moving higher and higher up. So like the jump from 20 to like seven is significant, but, and, but then the jump from 20 to 13 is also significant. And that's a jump that like, you know, you are probably going to have to give up a first round pick to jump up seven spots at this point, but the way just teams are drafting now. Yeah. And if you want to even have a conversation to get into three or four, uh, the draft of Wilson or Fields at that spot, not only looking at a future first-round pick in next year's draft, but you're probably looking at it in 2023. You probably have to give up your first-round pick in that year's draft as well just to even start a conversation because why would the Dolphins or Falcons risk on passing on elite talents such as Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, uh, Micah Parsons, Devontae Smith, any of these guys, Panay Sewell, uh, another name. Why would they dr- pass on uh, – drafting one of these blue chip special prospects uh, to move down all the way to 20, unless you're giving them significant draft capital going into the future to where they can really set up their teams well um, to build those teams going forward. So, I mean, you're, you're going to have to overpay and that might be scary for a lot of fans. I think to hear that, but again, like I said before, if that quarterback pans out for you, it is more than worth it to make that trade up and get your guy there because you know, Again, the Bears, they aren't in the best situation from a talent perspective on their team, but I don't think they are bereft of talent on the offensive side of the ball. I think they, if they can somehow keep Allen Robinson either for one year on the franchise tag or long-term with an extension, I think Allen Robinson is a true number one wide receiver, a top 15 or so wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, that's very valuable for a young quarterback, I think. The offensive line, I think they do need some pieces here. They need some more investment with some younger players. But I don't think they are a terrible unit. I think they are about a league average unit. And you're looking at other quarterbacks that have entered the NFL over the last couple of years. Justin Herbert had a bad offensive line. He looked really good his rookie year. Joe Burrow had a bad offensive line, but he looked really good his rookie year. Uh, Deshaun Watson, he's had bad offensive lines pretty much his entire year and his entire career in Houston. And that hasn't really helped, uh, hurt his development as a player all that much. And, and Patrick Mahomes, you know, the Chiefs, they have a fine offensive line, but I wouldn't say they're anything special. Um, over the course of his career. So we're kind of seeing in the NFL here that you don't necessarily need a great offensive line for your quarterback to develop and pan out here. You need them to be solid and not be terrible um, so that they're not getting, you know, hit all the time and getting injured. But, uh, you know, they don't need, you know, a 2017 Eagles offensive line or the Cowboys in the middle of this decade uh, where they had the best offensive line football. You don't need it to be that great to develop your quarterback properly. I think what's more important is that you have a solid uh, system for them to work with. You have playmakers for them to throw the ball to and that your offensive line is workable enough to where they have enough time to adjust the speed of the NFL and go through the reads and make everything a little bit easier for them as they transition to the NFL level. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I agree. And that's just another thing to keep in mind here is that in terms of the way the bears are going to go about building the offense moving forward, right? is if you lose Allen Robinson, you know what? Yeah, you have Darnell Mooney, but Darnell Mooney, who had one drop during his rookie season, Darnell Mooney will not be able to shoulder the load the way that Allen Robinson shouldered the load, right? That's one thing we have to really keep in mind. And then just another thing is that the Bears are, I truly believe what's going to happen this offseason to reinvest in the offense is they're going to make some sort of move on defense. And I really think what it will be is moving on from a guy like Akeem Hicks because they can save like, I think nearly $11 million cutting him because again, it's just the way that the league is trending, right? The Buffalo Bills did this and the Bears can follow the blueprint. Buffalo let some guys on the defensive side of the ball go and then reinvested that money into trading and that capital into trading for Stefan Diggs, right? Who, by the way, was a major reason that quarterback Josh Allen took the jump that he did. So Chicago needs to be in the similar boat here in the sense that they're going to have to play addition by subtraction for this upcoming offseason. And they need to play addition by subtraction, especially when it comes to figuring out the quarterback position and helping the offense. 
absolutely. Couldn't agree um, more than that. Uh, I think that's a great way you say to end this uh, podcast on that note um, to make that point clear. We've been saying this pretty much all off season. You have to reinvest uh, your resources from the defense to the offense. And that starts with getting the quarterback position right and aggressively trying to upgrade that position for a franchise quarterback. So I think that's a great way to end things here for this episode, the picks for pace podcast. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at picks for pace. Uh, you say, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow all my social medias actually at Usaid Koshal. Um, you know, you could read my work on the Bear Report. I just had an awesome, two awesome pieces I actually dropped breaking down Darnell Mooney's rookie season. I also broke down what Sean Desai's presser meant. And then I've got an awesome article, I believe, on Jalen Johnson coming out sometime over the next three or four days. Absolutely. Make sure to check out that stuff on the Bear Report. You can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. Make sure to keep up with my current uh, series on the Bear Report where I'm doing a mock offseason uh piece it's a multi-part uh series uh I, I have the first part release on the bear report right now i'm gonna have the second part release sometime later this week so make sure you keep an eye out for that to kind of get my thoughts on what the bears should do this offseason to get their team not only better for 2021 but going into the future uh for the long haul potentially so make sure to keep an eye out for that i want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in here at picks for pace on all podcasting platforms uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Stay warm and stay safe. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.